Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, crypto traders worldwide. We're back with another episode of Basic Cryptonomics. Slightly excited, slightly, I don't want to say depressed. I don't get depressed. Slightly disheartened, perhaps that's the best word to say. But there have been things that have happened that are good and things that have happened that are not so good. Some of those I will talk about as far as internal news. Some of them I will talk about as far as external news. Before I get into this, of course, I want to reiterate CryptoTalkRadio.net is the site where you can find all of our various platforms that we are on. We are on every platform at this point. We have a worldwide audience. If you have anybody who you think would benefit from the information and the coverage we provide, we encourage you to share the link, CryptoTalkRadio.net. It works on any device and have them select the platform of their choice. That can be iTunes, could be Spotify, it can be YouTube for all we care. We just want to help more people. And that's always the kind of the predominant messaging, right, is to help people that are either new to crypto or unsure with crypto. Right now is a very sketchy time. That's going to go to some of my internal and external news here in a moment. CryptoTalkRadio.net for all of the various platforms are on. And if you have any feedback, comments, questions, or suggestions, that's going to be the form. That also goes, I, I had one submission the other day. That's going to be part of my coverage today as I want to respond officially with a statement about what's going on with that. As far as internal news, let's get that out of the way here at the top of the hour. As I mentioned on previous episodes, I am in the process of potentially relocating. I had a very good conversation with the state of Arkansas, and Arkansas is actually where my family has very strong roots and origins on both sides. We, I would say, arguably, were one of the first families settling on, in this case, West Arkansas and to some degree Northwest Arkansas and Central we have, I've been actually in many of the cities there. The only reason I don't live there now is because I was trying to accommodate a client that was in California. That, of course, turned out to be a critical mistake because the state I'm in, that being Nevada, doesn't care about its citizens and doesn't care about small businesses. As a result, I have made the mental confirmed decision that I'm going to get the hell out of Nevada. Post haste, I'm just waiting on a couple of confirmations that, were, that just came in, one of them from this conversation with the state of Arkansas, and one of them that came actually from an exchange. And I covered this exchange sometime in the past, that being Poloniex. I had a pretty interesting conversation. I won't say good because it wasn't what I expected. I won't say bad because they gave me the, they sound like they gave me the answer that I was expecting, but it's weird the way it all went down. Now that could be that Poloniex by and large has people that are not native United States people that came from other countries. They're United States citizens, but they're not native to United States. So it could simply be cultural differences that I was seeing. But the whole process of our communication was very unusual. We got it sorted out. We went through it. And they gave me just today a message that told me that there might be something to this. If it goes through, it's a very exciting engagement and it'll allow me to really propel basic cryptonomics specifically into that next level as a podcast platform because it's of course poloniex one of the crypto exchanges everybody that uses poloniex today understands how they work i have used it on infrequent occasion but have not used it heavily and so any opportunity to get more involved in what that's going to do for customers is a good thing and learning kind of more about the innards of the exchanges i think that's going to be good as well and i'm okay disclosing that I'm at least working to try to create a relationship of some sort with Poloniex 
I'm not necessarily comfortable with going a little bit further than that at this point because I don't even know what that is going to look like yet. I have to actually go back in my own archives and figure out what's going to happen and what I covered before and contrast it with what they told me. And then depending on what they come back with when they respond, then I'm happy to provide a secondary update with more information about what this means. It will not affect my podcast or coverage because it's not directly tied to the podcast. It's tied to me as an individual. Some more internal news. Uh, This came due to a request that we received for clarification on the podcast and understand that the podcast, as I see more subscribers come aboard, as I get feedback and, and suggestions and recommendations, as I find guests, I take all these into consideration and I'm constantly adjusting. I spent probably 10 hours yesterday just doing tweaks and I still have a lot to do. I have to tweak the site and domains and everything's kind of rebranding right now because I'm kind of formalizing the brand and I'm almost done with that. That's why the CryptoTalkRadio.net looks different than what you might be used to because I'm now trying to position CryptoTalkRadio.net to be its own thing as opposed to being the parent site. It'll be its own site specifically for basic cryptonomics. That's just one example of the rebranding that's taking place right now so that each podcast independently stands strong, but also the parent company, which has changed brand, is able to stand on its own independent as well. And then I'm going to position that one in a different, slightly different direction and still have the podcast that you know and you're listening to today. So Leicester Life is still going to be part of the name. It's part of the search. It's how you're going to find the podcast. If you're already subscribed, nothing should change. If you remember, and if you're new, you wouldn't have heard this, but there in the month of March, part of my goal was to move the podcast to the new hosting platform. As part of that move, there's a lot of marketing and advertising and rebrand and everything that I'm putting into it, just like I did with The Gentleman's World, which is our sister podcast, and just like I've recently done with For the Love of Boxing, which is one of the other ones, I'm now dedicating more time and attention and consideration to how I create a brand and brand each and every one of them under an umbrella, but have each one of them have their own brand underneath it so that it's more unified than what it was. Previously, Leisteridge Podcasts was the co-name and it still somewhat is, but now I've kind of switched it to CTR. And the reason CTR made sense to me is because you got Crypto Talk Radio, that's basic cryptonomics. You got Casual Talk Radio, that's Gentleman's World. And then you got Combat Talk Radio, and that's for the love of boxing. Well, they're all CTR and it all makes sense. And now CTR, as in center stage, CTR stage, it will be the parent umbrella for the podcast. That then positions me if in the future it turns out that we get other podcasts that we create or that we support or that we manage at some point in the future, it can all fit underneath the brand and underneath the umbrella. And if we don't, we have a more consistent messaging for who we are as an organization as I grow and as I get the more subscribers and increase the marketing. The marketing needed to make sense. It had to come across to something that can resonate. And while Leicester does come across because of the UK predominantly, it may or may not make sense to those that are not in the UK. So this is a lot of thought was put into this. A lot of planning was put into this. A lot of money was put into this. So now I've got a good picture of what I wanted to do. We've got a new logo across the board. Some of the platforms are taking the new logo and it should update your app automatically. Some of them don't. If you're on iTunes, Spotify, Google, or one of the other ones that's web-based, 
those should automatically have updated already. And again, nothing would have changed in your access. Some tools, if you have an app on your phone, like Podcast Guru, for example, and CastBox is another one I found. Some of those, the icons and the locos don't update. It doesn't change anything for you, but you're not seeing the new experience. That's one of the reasons why we're doing the move to the new host, because the new host seems to do a better job at making sure that these updates are made to the various outlets so that you get visual, all these changes sent to your device of choice. So I'm working that on the side. That's the biggest internal is the rebrand and the restructure and the move to the new host, which is still on track to happen in March. I just don't know exactly when. Again, it should be largely transparent to you. You shouldn't see anything change in your application. You should just automatically get the auto as you have done. Behind the scenes, the host will then update, move all the records. Then I'm going to be setting up Substack again for notifications. And then at that point, I'll be able to make it available on CryptoTalkRadio.net for you to be able to subscribe so that you get updates and alerts and messages that I think are important for you. Substack is going to be the conduit to getting that information. This takes me then into my next bit of internal news, and that's around Substack predominantly. Not the tool, but it came from there. I had an outreach come from a subscriber on the Substack side, and this person was bought into Antecenu, which we covered a little while ago. And he was greatly concerned because what happened with Antecenu, many people don't know. Let me break down for those that are new or didn't hear this episode. I do recommend going in the archive and listening to the totality of that episode. Antecenu is on the Binance chain. It's spun up and basically distributed one token to over a million SHIB holders. So everybody who had SHIB in the blockchain, they sent one Antis token. If you ever held SHIB at some point in the past, you probably have one of those tokens sitting in your wallet, didn't know it. Because if you're in Trust Wallet, Trust Wallet doesn't show you this by default. You'd have no way of knowing that this is in your wallet unless you knew to look for it. So they sent out these tokens to everybody to artificially increase the holder count. There were some criticisms that came from social media, and I had to respond by saying, this is a marketing tool. They're doing it to increase exposure, but also many exchanges want to see that you have a significant holder count before they'll even talk to you. So it's a marketing strategy. It's not a scam. Antisenium is not a scam. It was not just trying to steal your money. It was actually a legitimate project. The guy behind it was frustrated with SHIB. He basically said that SHIB has failed and he wanted to try to prove to them how to make a so-called meme coin succeed and do it right. So he had a constrained inventory. He had a burn. He had all these things built into Antisenium. We did a review of it. It looked pretty decent. We had a couple of concerns and we shared that and said, if you're going to buy into it, just FYI, this is what you need to know. The problem that I saw is that Antisenium had a very poor, I'll say piss poor, social media strategy. They didn't do a good job at communicating to everybody. They were only focused, and I mentioned this, on their their mission against SHIB, Shiba Inu. They weren't focused on creating a true community. They built one, but they didn't know how to manage it correctly because what happened is after this token goes live and it's kind of jumping, they get it on at least one exchange. I'm pretty sure that was Hotbit. And when you get on exchanges, what happens is that people are now, those aren't holders. Those are people that are using your token for profit. When you get on an exchange, that's kind of the mentality of people who are on the exchanges is to get money out of your project. They don't care about holding. They don't care about community. They don't care about any of it. 
you need the exchange because that's how you increase your hold, your number of wallets that hold and increase your volume. And with volume increase comes price increase. So unlike Affinity, I do support getting on an exchange, but you have to understand that the people on the exchanges don't care about your crypto project at all. They're just trying to make cash. So they get on these exchanges and all of a sudden the price is having a hard time. I said that it should easily be able to get to a penny or more just because you've already made over a million aware of this thing. If you took just 10% of them and got them to buy in at a pretty good stake, you should easily be able to drop zeros like mad. It did drop zeros pretty good, but then it started tanking because people were selling off. Later, I don't know how this came about, but they somehow found this partnership with this organization. And I didn't look deep into it because I felt it was a scam on the face, but they somehow found this partnership with a company called FitScript. And from what I could tell, the goal was to create some sort of a mobile app and then tie, you know, somehow, I don't know, exercise or fitness or some activities and then generate cryptocurrency from them. I didn't look deep. I'm just saying I looked at it and it looked like garbage to me. Well, then the Antis team made the decision to basically drop the Antis EMU token, just completely say, we're not doing this anymore. Yank the liquidity, which they already did. And then at some point in future, spin up this fit script deal off to the side. And then that would be the token going forward. And they only announced this through their telescam. You know how I feel about telescam. I never have supported using it in lieu of a better social media strategy because telescan, nobody in the United States uses telescam. We think it's garbage. I would argue the vast majority of people who are turned off by tokens other than NFTs are done so because of the token only focusing on telescam and not communicating through Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, other means that American people use because that's where a lot of the money's coming from. And so they only did this through Telescan where they made this announcement one time post. Okay, we're going to drop our antis. We're going to take the liquidity and we're going to smell this other token. That was sometime in late February. They yanked the liquidity before they had the new token. So now if you looked at your wallet, your antis became worthless. I took it upon myself to send out a social media message letting anybody know because if somebody had bought in, Due to our coverage, I wanted them to at least be informed. Your token is worthless, not because they rug pulled, but because they're going to a new token and you need to go to their telescam if you want to understand more deets because I wasn't going to follow the new token. If you, I hope people did not YOLO into it because you might look at the new project and think it's garbage like I do. And now your money's at a waste and it kind of forces your hand to do the new project. They said they were going to airdrop the new token to anybody who was holding the existing Antis Inu. I don't know that that happened. I don't know when it would happen. I don't know any data. Beyond that, I didn't see one in my wallet. I had, I have like five or six wallets. One of them still had Antis remaining because it held a different bag of SHIB. That one does not have the FitScript token that I can see. So I'm assuming they have not yet. Well, again, we're close to two weeks out now and we still haven't seen motion, but they yanked the liquidity first. That pissed me off because I don't agree that they should have yanked the liquidity before having the new token open. The reason they did it is because they couldn't afford to spin up the new token without doing the liquidity first. That means these guys didn't know what they were doing. Right there, they lost my confidence. I didn't have an Antis bag. I had bought in a couple of points and then took profit and then dropped it because I saw that they weren't going to make it succeed like they said they could. 
I don't blame them. But when I saw that their social media strategy was crap, I said, okay, I'm not going to give them my money. And if you listen to some of my other coverage of Seifu, I said, if your person behind this token is a blistering idiot, why would I want to enrich that person? And that's kind of my mantra. If I see incompetence, I'm less likely to want to buy into it. Even if I'm that profit driven, I just, I'm adamant against enriching stupid people. Mistakes are one thing. I'm talking blatant ignorance. I thought Antis Enu had the right idea. They didn't know what to do with it. They were just like Santa coin. They're sitting on gold, but they don't know how to make it work. With Antis Enu, again, even if you only got 10% of these people to buy into the project, it should easily have surpassed ship. They didn't know how to market because their social media management skills sucked. And I invited them to the show and they ignored me because they didn't want the smoke, as is the case with many of these tokens. So if anybody's out there listening that did buy into Antisenu either because of or in spite of our coverage, or maybe you didn't hear about it and you're just now hearing me talk about it because you're new, FYI, your Antisenu is worthless. It's not a rug pull. It is by definition, but I'm saying that in what they're doing, it's not really a rug pull because there is a plan to spin up this other fit script token. Now, the challenge is you're going to need to go to their telescam to understand what to do next. I can't help you there. So what I'd recommend is that you go to their site and see what they tell you about how to get to their telescam because they have like layers of verification to their telescam which is annoying, but that's why I didn't go through it because I wasn't going to go through this again. Their site is antisinu.com, A-N-T-I-S-I-N-U.com, and then you're going to need to hit their telescam link. It's on the page. When you hit this, it's going to take you to a verification widget. The verification widget at, does like a CAPTCHA type thing to verify you're human. Once you get past that, you'll be in the chat, and then you can ask whatever questions there are some pinned posts there that talk about what happened and what they're doing, but they're very inefficient. If I, if you answer me, so just if you're not, you're not going to be really impressed with what you see in my mind. I think they gave up too fast. I think they just, they were in over their heads. They got frustrated about SHIB, which is fine, but then they didn't understand, okay, we need help. We're not going to be able to make this thing work without getting the help that we need from other sources. And then they just quit and they didn't need to quit. They decided to go spin up another token. I think that's going to harm sentiment of investors, rightfully so, because it means you just gave up. And how do we know you're not going to give up on FitScript? So again, go to antisenu.com. If you were invested in it, go to their telescam from there and they should be able to guide you. I can't really help. This goes to the story around the person who reached out through CryptoTalkRadio.net. Apparently, this person was confused because they saw their value had dropped and they were misdirected. They went to Telescam. If you know Telescam and the reason I call it Telescam, it's because every single room has a bunch of scam copy rooms. And these rooms are filled with people that are designed, their, their design is to steal from you. So they'll do something like, if you're having this issue, connect your wallet to this and validate this or change your node address this. They'll tell you all this garbage and what they're trying to get you to do is send your tokens to them to rip you off. It seems like this person possibly might've gotten ripped off by one of these scammers. There's not really much I can do and there's probably nothing that the Antisenu team can do because if the person had already sent their tokens to the scammer, the scammer's long gone. 
and the tokens would be worthless anyway. So there's not really much that can be done. If the tokens were out of the wallet before they did the airdrop, there's nothing they could do. And you wouldn't have known that the airdrop was coming because they suck at social media. And that's the problem. So if this has happened to you where you sent your tokens, because you didn't need to send your tokens anywhere, is a summary. If you sent, if you had Antis Inu and you sent them somewhere, I, I would apologize, but they're probably long gone and you probably aren't going to be made whole due to this issue. And I would just direct you to antisenu.com, go to their t- official telescam from their site and then, you know, chew them out because they rightfully deserve it because they wouldn't have told you what you needed to know about this process. Again, that's Antis Inu if you were in it. Uh, it's a big problem, I think, because they were in over their heads. They had the, a good idea and they didn't know how to capitalize. And unfortunately, because they didn't want to smoke and had no courage to come on the show and let me help them, this is what happens. People are harmed and affected and it's going to impact investor sentiment all the way around. The only other piece of internal news that I will cover, um, this is kind of on the side of this business. Uh, I had somebody else that asked about wallets. And on CryptoTalkRadio.net, we do have a link that does make a recommendation, at least for the wallet that we use. And we've been very happy with it. We don't tell you anything about which tokens do or don't work with it. You'll have to do that research. But we do, I do want to mention that we are very happy with SafePal. Well, I've been very, very happy with SafePal. SafePal's two-part. You've got the hardware wallet, and then you've got the software wallet. Software wallet's an app on your device. In the software app, you can actually do regular exchange trades of coins outside of the decks. So let's say you just need to buy some, I don't know, some Ethereum. You can actually do that directly in the software wallet, which I think is cool. You can trade. So let's say you have your SHIB and you can send, you can deposit your SHIB into that exchange directly through the wallet, and then you can sell it straight out for whatever, or you can buy into it. I just thought it was very cool that you can do it from the wallet that saves multiple steps. So like recently, I needed to get some Bitcoin so that I could pay this other service anonymously. And I was able to do that really quick and fast. Plus I need to get some Ethereum for a migration that's happening and then to buy into a project. And I was able to do that swapping some stuff I already had directly in the wallet so I didn't have to jump around exchanges like I've been doing. That allowed me to leave my mining machines to just mine what crypto I actually want and focus on the exchange to buy the crypto that allows me to do these transactions. So, so those that asked SafePal is what we use. We do recommend it. If you go through the link that's on cryptotalkradio.net and you buy from there, we do get a portion that would then help the show. So if you're looking for a more secure, safe way to secure your crypto, I would direct you to cryptotalkradio.net, click that link and then do the research. There's videos there. There's text there to look at it. And if it makes sense for you, again, if you buy from that link, it does help us out too. So I'll give that as a point. Let's go ahead and get into our external news. Fortunately, there's not a lot of external news that you're not already aware of, but I want to go ahead and go through a couple different things. Number one, Bitcoin. Bitcoin has been fluctuating very heavily between, I'd say, probably the 35,000 and 42-ish thousand marks. It has not been able to get above 42,000 and there's been kind of some concerns about Bitcoin's long-term price movement. Most in economics believe that Bitcoin is still a six-figure coin, but there are a number of things that's holding it back. We know that the wartime Ukraine-Russia situation, that's holding it back a little bit. 
ETFs, which that's a whole different thing I'm not going to bore you with, but ETFs around Bitcoin and shows a support, right? An inherent support for Bitcoin. I think that's, that's holding it back a little bit. The Biden administration threatening the executive orders, which to me is just a clandestine attempt to start blocking it and restricting access to it. I think that's sentiment, harming sentiment. And then all the scams that are happening, I do think that is, I think that's causing problems as well. My point is that there's a lot of different layers to what's affecting Bitcoin now. I don't believe that there's going to be long-term damage. I think it's a short-term thing. I suspect that at some point later in the year, we're going to start seeing it kind of go back up. But until we get some sanity around the current people in the White House, there's always going to be kind of this iffy thing. Because if you notice, every single time there's conversation with Bitcoin kind of going up, we hear an announcement from the Biden administration. All right, we're looking at some regulations. We're locking this down. And then it crashes again. And then he goes silent. We've seen this over and over again. So I don't know exactly when things will settle down. I don't know exactly what is causing excessive amounts of the deal, but I do think that we're just, we're causing a lot of this. We're causing a lot of this issue. Most of the people that are already in Bitcoin are stacking bags. They're buying more of it. They're taking advantage of the dips. The challenge is that if you, you'd have to put in quite a bit of money at this point, I would argue you'd need to put in at least 10,000 bucks into Bitcoin to outweigh the loss that you would incur if you didn't do it. In other words, you could toss like $5, $10, $100, and you might make some money at some point. I just don't think that it's going to happen in the short term, and I don't think it would be enough to justify doing it over doing something else. Like I think you would need at least 10 grand at that point. If it does go up, you're making enough to justify the loss that you got right now. That's my opinion. As I take off of what's happening here, secondary news here, there's when we look at regulation, big picture regulation, and I talked about it with Mr. Sagala. I think everybody agrees that some common sense regulation is necessary. However, the challenge is that the people in the current White House are not using common sense with what they do. And I believe that there's going to be, I think people are misunderstanding. Like there are certain people celebrating that Biden gave this executive order announcement or that they, there's a rumor that's coming and they're celebrating. Yes, yeah, finally regulation. They don't understand that, it's actually similar to Obama and Obamacare. When Obamacare was first announced, everybody was yipping and cheering because it's like, yeah, healthcare for everybody, yay. And then later, when people started really analyzing it and getting away from their bias about the man, they say, wait a minute, there's an excise tax in here. What the heck's going on? You said you weren't going to raise any taxes on the middle class. He said that in his campaign. And Obama said, well, we, look, uh, we need to pay for this. And uh, the only way to pay for this, you know, we got to, we got to do it. It's not a tax. And then the the law came back and said, no, that's a tax. <laughs> you you said you're not going to increase taxes. That's a tax. That's why it started getting attacked in the courts because it was supposed to not create a new tax or burden on the middle class when it was first announced. So what happens is we're just cheering about this that sounds good, but they're not reading the nuts and bolts of the. What's behind this? What's moving this? What's happening here? 
So when people say, eh, crypto is not going to be banned, crypto, they're actively trying to ban it. They're trying to do it. Just because they say, oh, benefits of crypto and it could be good, they're trying to ban it. In order to create a ban, they have to at least acknowledge it. So I'm telling you as a prediction, and we'll be long off this earth before my prediction will become a reality likely. I'm telling you, this is going to be a ban that's going to happen at some point. We know this because all they keep saying is energy uses deep, deep, deep. Instead of how can we allow people, because here's the thing. We want to make sure that we allow people to do the crypto the way they're doing it today, but just protect their interests. But we should not have situations where we're violating their policy that came from their own Janet from the treasury that came out of her mouth that she wants to violate your private wallets. That's going to be the net effect. Well, in order for us to embrace this crypto, we need to know how much you're holding in your private wallet. If we lose the privacy, then no, that's a precursor to a ban. If we allow them to control blockchain traffic, if we allow them to block blockchain movements, that's a ban. How could it not be? So no, I disagree with people like Sean Smith at Forbes who claim that, no, this is a great thing and this is what we need. It's going to cure the thing and we're going to get the, da, da, da. it's going to remove possibly a ban. He doesn't understand and he's probably just a big Biden fan and he's not reading between the lines because I guarantee you this is a precursor to the ban. The second argument is, well, an executive order is not a law. I actually had an argument on social media about this. If businesses comply with a thing, it is the, it's created as law. I'll give you an example, and this is going to upset a lot of people, and I don't care. Let's talk about same-sex marriages. Same-sex marriages is not law. It's not. Same-sex marriages had a ruling against it. The ruling created a precedent. There's no law. Congress has never formalized that as a law to this date. However, because of the ruling... The ruling was kind of taken as kind of the granted, okay, then that's what it is, and we're just going to do it, and nobody's fought it. That's not law. It's that everybody's complying with that ruling as is, so we're assuming that, okay, it's all right. But the thing is, there's never been a law. I'm talking written, codified. There's never been a law written that says, no, this is legal and allowed, da 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 You don't believe me, go do your research. Supreme Court came out. They made a ruling. We, Supreme Court, are saying that it's legal. Supreme Court doesn't make law. Congress makes law. Supreme Court evaluates the situation and they make a ruling that does not create law. That's why in certain states, it's still banned. The same thing applies when you think about things like weed, right? Weed is illegal at the federal level. It's legalized in certain states, not all. That's because there never was a singular law except for the federal law against weed. And you could still be arrested if you're caught carrying it, even in a state where it's essentially legal. There's never been a unified singular law. So the way that this all works in cryptocurrency is you do an executive order And I guarantee it's a precursor to a ban. It's basically designed to freak people out, the businesses. It's designed to make them scared and nervous, just like his executive order that tried to force OSHA to force employers to stick something in people's arms. And then companies, what happened? They freaked out. They freaked out and they all implemented that rule, even though there was no law saying that they could or should. The Supreme Court made a ruling 
saying, no, you can't do this. Oh, shit, that's not against. But then the businesses said, well, we're just going to keep it because it sounded good. We're just going to keep it. If they all kept doing that, how can it not be kind of treated as a law in form because people can't, they can just fire you and nothing protects you. That's the big means test. Are you protected if your rights are violated? That's the question. With the situation of COVID, you're not protected against them firing you if you chose not to give them HIPAA, you know, non-compliant data, or you chose not to let something get stuck in your arm, you're not protected if they fire you. They're protected if they fire you. You're not protected if they fire you. So because they're protected, it's assumed that they're doing the right thing, even though the Supreme Court made a ruling saying that, no, it's not constitutional. Nobody else is fighting it. Nobody's fighting for you, the low level. That's what I see happening with this cryptocurrency. An executive order will come out saying, we need to acknowledge this thing. It's here. It's not going away. We need to create a decision. So let's start the conversation. Do your research and do it. But why? It's because they want to implement a ban at some point. Because all they're going to find is energy issues, deep, 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 and a bunch of the scams and a bunch of honeypots and everything and say, well, you know, for the good of Americans, we need to lock this down. We need to make it act like the stock market. We can't have this blockchain that's outside the internet. It needs to all flow through the IRS. We need to duly note every single dollar that flows through this thing. We can't allow new cryptocurrencies freely. We got to lock down some of these other chains. We can't let you spin up a chain on your own. If you want to create a new blockchain, you got to go through hoops and fill out 20 forms. That's the way our government in the United States works. The moment they get their hooks in at the front door, off an executive order, and it sounds good to surface, people like Forbes go and they validate this and then everybody else runs with it saying it's a good idea and they didn't really know how to read the rules that would have told them, you know what, this is a precursor to a ban. So I'll predict that. I'm, I have no problem predicting that. Now the catch, if we get a blowout in November as, a, as is predicted and we get these people out of there, hopefully the new administration that comes in We'll say, you know, we do need to have some regulation, but we're not going, we'll explicitly tell you there will be no ban on this. There will be no restrictions on this. We will help it grow. Let's hope that happens. I, we don't know if it's a blowout. We expect a blowout. It's what we need because the current administration is not crypto friendly. I don't care who says otherwise. We see a pattern with the people in the office right now. They have no problem with bans and rigid restrictions and a loss of freedom. They've already shown a track record that freedom doesn't. The president himself went up on stage and said, this ain't about your freedom. We know it's not about your freedom. So he doesn't care about personal freedom, which means he won't care about your freedom to trade cryptocurrency, which means we shouldn't trust any executive order he puts his signature to, in my opinion. Stripe. Stripe is one of the payment providers. If you don't know about payment providers, it's anytime you want to swipe a credit card or generate invoices. Of course, you have PayPal is still out there as a thing. Stripe is still a thing. Square is a thing and a couple of others. Basically, a I don't want to call it a merchant, but it kind of sort of is a merchant. Now, Stripe has been the lesser of the other ones. Like PayPal is kind of at the top. Coinbase has their own. Square is kind of the go-to now. Like there are a lot of stores. There's actually a pizza shop in Colorado and they have one of the Square terminals and it looks like a tablet. And you can, you know, do all the transactions there and it goes to their Square account. I had a Square account at one point. I think it's crap. I'll tell you why in a second. But Stripe at one point allowed cryptocurrency payments. This was in the past. This is around 2018-ish that they allowed crypto uh, payments. At some point they stopped. 
I don't know exactly why. I suspect it's because at some point they felt like, okay, something's something's not right here. This might get banned and we need to get away from this because it's too much of a risk. That's my theory as to why they got away from it. But the point is they got away from it at the point. They're now announcing they're coming back into it. They're going to be supporting exchanges. They're going to be supporting fiat. They're going to support wallets. They're going to support NFTs. They're going to do KYC identity, the whole nine. This is huge, and I'll tell you why. When we get more of these type of merchant, pseudo-merchant transactions doing cryptocurrency, it opens up a lot of opportunities. Like right now, if you wanted to send me a tip, I have a number of ways to do that. You can do it with cryptocurrency, or you can do it with a credit card, or you can do it as later there'll be a, a way that you can become a supporter. If you want to do it with a credit card, it's a it's actually Stripe. If you want to do it with cryptocurrency, it's now payments.io. And they work, but it's a pain because I have to now manage two different providers, but it's all one bank at the back end and I can't consolidate everything. Then I have to pay and support two different things. If my Stripe were able to support cryptocurrency, it means that I could create one portal for doing tips as opposed to having multiple different portals as I do right now. That provides more options for anybody that wants to tip the show. It also makes it easier for me to manage and I can start turning off excessive amounts of services. The reason I called Square crap is because Square, they had an option or they still have an option where you can manually enter in or swipe in a card, a credit card or a debit card or something else. And then you can, from this, take the payment straight in and lead us to the bank. The problem is, is that if you have a lot of them or you have prepaid cards, which are very popular in cryptocurrency, they'll just happily shut your account down. Don't even give you any recourse to appeal. Don't give you any sort of way to fix it. They just say, screw you, go away. And I left. No problem. Because I, at the time, a lot of my transactions were prepaid cards because that's what they choose to pay. Fine. I let them go. Stripe. Stripe's been great and they've worked magically. And anybody that even if. Let's say you do uh, a garage sale or a yard sale or something. I think Stripe is, Stripe is amazing for taking these payments in a very convenient way when you don't have cash handy or don't want to use cash. So I guess I'll call that my shout out to them and them getting back into cryptocurrency is huge. I don't like that they had gotten away from it at the point. I think that was a bad decision. I understand why they, what they thought and why they thought it. I just think it was short-sighted as we see now because now they're playing catch-up when all they needed to do was simply adjust with the times because they are the lesser of the, of the big ones. And this is because they're, they're playing catch up. And I don't think that was a good idea. LimeWire. Does anybody remember LimeWire? Those listening to the show are roughly around my price range, my price range as far as age, you're around my price range. And so I'm assuming I say the name LimeWire and you're like, you know what? I, there's something about that. I remember that name. Let me give you a little bit of history lesson because I think it's an exciting story. I encourage you to go look a little bit deeper. LimeWire at one point in the distant past was one of the main services for distributing music. And when I say distributing music, I'm talking about pirated music. LimeWire was one of those that spun up in addition to Kazaa and as a response to Napster getting basically going corporate as it were. Many of these services started building up. So BearShare, LimeWire, Kazaa, there were all these services that spun up because Napster got basically went south 
and you could get illicit, you get music illicit MP3s. This preceded what we know now. We take for granted that you can just go to Amazon Music and buy MP3. You can go to iTunes, buy MP3. You can buy MP3s pretty much everywhere, and it's just a 99 cent something, and all it is what it is, and there's no DRM. Remember, at this time, people had to rip the CD to create MP3s. There was software to do this, and then they would upload it to these file sharing services. In 2011, LimeWire had shut down. It was one of the last mainstays. Ones like BearShare are still around. Uh, Kazaa, I'm pretty sure, is dead, or if it didn't, it changed. But 2011, LimeWire shuts down. LimeWire's coming back, just the brand. It's coming back as an NFT marketplace. Now, you're like, well, why? The brand has at least some value to the age range that of those that are listening to the show today. Anybody who is in their 30s to 50s will recognize the name LimeWire, and it has name recognition that they believe is going to allow them to promote this thing. This is not going to have any connection whatsoever to the original site intent of music. It may have some music NFTs, and the goal is to focus on the music NFTs so that they're using the brand to promote music NFTs and then give 90% of the revenue to the artist. So there is an appeal in the form of having a platform for doing this. Here's where I think it's going to struggle. Part of the appeal of NFTs and cryptocurrency in general is to decentralize, not centralize. We say that, but then you got OpenSea and it's a central platform and so many other ones that centralize NFTs. The difference is with music, I think we've lost a lot of the artists when I say we have lost the ability to control our works and control how we distribute them. So if LimeWire, this new one, is able to give the control of the distribution of the medium, then I think it's a good thing. I think what's going to hold them back and the reason I think they'll struggle is rights. Copyrights are a very painful thing to manage. They would have to solve that somehow. And I don't think that they've had the conversation. I'll watch it and see how it goes, but I think they're going to struggle, is my opinion. I could have it completely wrong, and maybe they pull it out, and maybe they're able to shock uh, the system, but I think that there's going to be some issues with them trying to do this. The last bit of external news I'll cover is around Cardano. You may have, if you're newer to the show, you didn't hear this, I encourage you to go back in the history archives, but if you listen to me for a while, you know that I've been bullish on Cardano. I felt Cardano was one of the, it's, it's like an underpriced, underrated type thing. However, I was told by multiple people, Cardano is basically, their idiot is a leader, is what I was essentially told. And so Cardano, in what it was built to do, it was built to replace or solve the problems, rather, of Ethereum. This is before ETH 2.0 was ever a thing. Cardano's price per coin got up to like $3 and it was easy to get it through mining. And so people were accumulating it. I was accumulating it. It's cheap to transact and send it different places. It had a strong appeal. Then come along things like Tron, things like uh, Algorand, things like Stellar XLM, uh, Tezos, and all these other ones that do the same thing, but they're fractions, sometimes fractions of a dollar. And so I switched, like myself, most of the time I'm using Algorand or Stellar XLM to do transactions between exchanges. I might use Tezos if I'm going to Coinbase, 
And so, so I switched away from Cardano and let's do Cardano. Cardano peaked at like $3. It's going down. It's been going down for a long time. It's getting close to 50 cents. People are just selling it off. Nobody really knows what the heck's going on, including myself, with Cardano. Because if you look at the fundamentals of what it's supposed to do, nothing's wrong with the project. It's just, it seems like their leadership just sucks. That's what it seems like from what we can tell. And that they've never done a good job of appealing to enough people. So I don't really know what's happening. I wish I did because I still, even now, I still think that Cardano is one of the best projects out there. It just seems like that they've got incompetent leadership behind it. And I don't know why. I don't know what the heck is going on there uh, with that dude. So that's all I got for the external news. Next, I want to share some information. This was distributed through YouTube first because of search relevance, mostly. I share this here, and this is feedback that's designed Anybody, right now is a tough market. We're, I would argue this is currently a bear market in this current, I'd say for this week, mostly. There's been some jumps, but like if you look at the grass right now, nothing's looking all that good, and it's mostly because of, of uh, Ethereum rather and Binance, and they're having issues, and the underlying tokens having issues affects everything. I wanted to share some information about some of the tokens that were dastardly affected. I'm talking like 40% down, you lost a lot of money, where it's not because of the Ethereum, the Binance, it's clearly because of the project and the way the project works. And you might have lost money on it or know somebody that lost money on it. I did a recording on YouTube to try to help people and get them to a point where they're able to try to recoup at least a little bit of it. I want to share that here for those that are listening now so that part of my mission is to share the information between YouTube and the main podcast more where I think it's cross-relevant, I think now's a good time to do that. So let me go ahead and play what I communicated to the YouTube side here now. And again, this is designed to help if you had significant losses as a result of the project, not because of Binance Ethereum, but because the project rug pulled or they're just incompetent or something happened and you lost money kind of unexpectedly. This is what this is for, is to design to help you potentially understand what happened understand some of our coverage and hopefully recoup at least a little bit of it. I want to take a moment, if I can, to elaborate on the coverage I did for the Saifu protocol dump that happened very recently that continues to happen, by the way. And it's, I wouldn't say it's getting worse. I think it'll plateau, but right now people are doing, it's, it's FOMO selling. Essentially, we're seeing a lot of people that are FOMO selling because of the initial dump of 600 coins resulting in almost a million dollars of lost liquidity. And the liquidity pool is now down about six million-ish. And people are FOMO selling. So it's not like there's, I, I don't think that there's a rug pull happening with it. I don't think that there's a scam, at least not yet. I think it's people that are just FOMO selling because they saw that this first person went in and dumped this amazing amount of tokens. I say amazing because it wasn't a significant number of tokens but people don't understand the reason that this was a risk. And I kind of briefly talked about it on this coverage I just posted to YouTube. And I want to add this point, and this will, of course, go to the podcast and everyone else at CryptoTalkRadio.net because I want everybody to hear the logic because you can apply the same logic to any token. It's not specific to Seifu that I provide this information. 
there's more to this. And it's important you understand how this works because you can follow the pattern. It's, it's easy to follow it when you understand what to look for. And that's what I want to kind of talk through. The problem I said on this one, there was a couple things. But first off, the constrained inventory. It has a heavily constrained inventory. That in of itself creates a risk. That was number one. Number two, you have the FOMO buys up front and the pre-sale in the FOMO. And what that would do, if you think about how the price of the token grows over time, and again, this is not about Seifu, it's any token that has a constrained inventory. There's The math works out that if you don't have anti-whale to stop people from dump selling, they're going to be able to sell. So in this case of this token and with any other, when you have a pre-sale on a constrained inventory, you're creating more risk as more people buy early in the pre-sale. That's the problem with pre-sales on constrained inventory. If I can buy in and let's say the initial price is $10 and let's say I put a hundred dollars, a hundred, you know, worth of this. And I, so basically a thousand tokens. Now in this case, I see quite a few people that had a thousand tokens. If I have a thousand tokens, my basis right there is I spent however much hundred dollars to get these 10 tokens and I get $1,000 as value, as my basis value. The problem is, you can look at the graph yourself. The price jumped from $15-ish or $18-ish. It looks like 18 It jumped all the way from 18 to 300 in a very short span of time, about a week and a half. So mathematically, what does that tell you? You can, I, I'm wanting you to pull out your calculator and do the math yourself. If I spent in the early days, and of course this is 18. So I said, okay, I got 18 per token and I just put $100 at this thing. My basis value is $1,800. If my basis value is $1,800, okay, that's good. The problem is that's no longer your basis when the value goes up because it peaked at roughly $335. At $335, that $100 that I put in there is now worth 30-something thousand dollars. The one who's triggered this FOMO selling right now had 600 tokens. So you take that and multiply by six, that's 200 grand at the peak. When that person dumps, right, when they dump out, and that's only if I did $100 worth, they had to have done a lot more. I'm saying that when that person dumps out, it causes a cascade effect because now people are seeing cells, strong cell signals, and they go and they sell and they sell and they sell and they sell. That's, it's normal. It's natural. It's actually healthy for some cells. You don't want constant increase in growth, but that's the reason we always advocate to take profits on the way up because you can never gauge when exactly that's going to happen. If you're in for a major bag, as a lot of these people are, and when I say bag, I'm talking in terms of the value of what they hold right now. If you're in for a major bag, you have a high chance of taking the project. There are people in there that hold 4,000 of these tokens, folks. If you have 4,000 of the tokens, as of right now, the price is 177 per token. That person's sitting on just shy of 750 grand. If that person dumps and you got a liquidity of about 12 million and you just take five of these people, that token's going to crap out. This is what you anticipate. And you should be able to anticipate this 
up front. When you look at there's a pre-sale, number one, that should be risk number one. And you're like, why? Because yes, you could buy into the pre-sale and yes, you could be enriched and yes, you could cash out like one of these people. But what happens if somebody beats you to the punch? What happens if you bought in and you buy 500 tokens, you buy in, and let's say it wasn't 600 coins dumped, let's say it's 4,000 coins dumped at the point the liquidity is only like $2 million. At that point, you're not going to be able to cash out the max value. Some people are smart. They say, you know, I'm going to treat it as a long play. I, I understand the loss of value and I acknowledge I lost value. I'm going to treat it as a long play and I'm just going to hold it and see what happens because it was throwaway money. Great. That's a strategy. No problem. I'm just saying from what I see, chances are if you're buying into this one during the pre-sale, you're doing it for FOMO reasons. You're doing it because you know that you can cash out big as a gambler. That's the motivation for it. I'm saying this is a timing game. And what I'd rather see you do for a value perspective for you is take profits on the way up. Why? Because if you take chunks of profit on the way up, you'll likely end up in a better position. And when it does inevitably dip, as we know they all are going to do, you can take some of that profit, buy back in off the dip and wait for it to climb again and then repeat the process. You'll likely end up in a better position. People that just cash out the one time, and in this case, some of these that are cashing have a lot of tokens. So the 600, let's say they had 3,000 tokens total, they still got a long way to go, and they're probably, that is their chunking out. What I said was they caused a cascade too early because the token didn't get a chance to get as high as it probably could have gone, which I think it could have gone as high as four, 500 per token. And then if you had just cashed out 100 tokens, and then let it continue climbing and climbing and climbing, you're doing smarter. What most tokens smartly do in order to enforce that logic is to have anti-whale built into the token to prevent people from doing the kinds of dumps that trigger FOMO selling. It's the FOMO selling that wrecks you, period. Whether or not it's a rug pull is a secondary concern and you should be aware of it, but it's the FOMO selling that gets you. When you have the FOMO selling, it gets in the way. And so you want to make sure, in my opinion, that you're never at a situation where you are just holding, 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 and then somebody dumps on you and you lose half your value. And then it continues dropping because people are still FOMO selling. And then you get sketchy and nervous. If you're one of those so-called diamond hands and you're strong enough that you can do that, great. I applaud you for that strategy. It's a strategy. All I'm saying is in smarter business, you could come out better if you simply take profits and don't hold, hold, hold and just time it to where you're taking profits over a regular basis as it grows and you measure how much it's really growing and just take out some profits. You may not have as much tokens as you might like to. Remember, it's going to consolidate at points. It, as it goes up, it's going to hit consolidation points. Those dips buy into them to get the bag back up. And then at some point later, you'll be able to chunk out profits again. I think that's a smarter way to do it, in my opinion. And it's one of the things I like most about Libero is they actually tell you to do that, as opposed to every other token that tells you to just hold and then be subject to this risk because it's not even about the token project. I think that's a secondary problem. It's also about the sketchiness. People are skittish. They are not diamond hands like you. And if they tank your project, you're going to lose a lot. Now, as long as you don't sell, you're probably okay. The question is, is it going to be around for the next six months to a year? Or is everybody going to dump it and move as has happened with so many other projects? 
even Titano is starting to have a little bit of sell-off. It happens. It's normal. If you're one that you are experienced in the game, kudos, do what you got to do. I'm saying I think a smarter strategy, especially with something like this, knowing that the pre-sale was going to cause this risk, would have been to simply take for profits over time. And I would apply that again to pretty much any token project I can think of. I can't think of a single one where I would advocate to just hold long term unless it's something where the profits are simply not going to be there because of the way it's built. But like SHIB, for example, everybody's holding SHIB because they're waiting on a burn and there really is no profit to be had. And in some cases, the amount of money they have isn't worth because of gas or something else. It isn't actually worth selling for profit. Got you. In something like a Binance, BNB is cheap. So I, to me, I would take profits off those things. If it's something where it's the Ethereum network and you can generate Ethereum on the Binance and then swap it to Ethereum network and then do it that way to kind of save, okay, maybe you do that. I just am a strong advocate, always have been now, of taking profits and don't sit it there so that your your money that you invest is not being held hostage or subject to the whims of what you know are the sketchy FOMO people that can take your value. I summarized by saying, ultimately, it's up. It's your money. You do what you want to do. I'm just sharing my thoughts that we see this time and again, the same pattern. Nobody's really holding tokens anymore. Everybody's doing kind of a buy and sell pattern and everybody else is taking profits. So anybody who is still in the hold mentality, hey, much respect to you because you're one of the, I guess, the last mainstays, but we are seeing across tokens that people are starting to get into the profit take mode. And that's going to affect, I think, your investing strategy, or at least it should, and kind of rethink which tokens are worth that versus which ones you just take for profit and treat them as what they are, which is there's these issues up front. It's going to cause a dump. We don't know when. I'll just take profits on the way up. That way, when it does happen, I'm insulated from it. These are my thoughts exclusive to me. Now, if you're one of the ones that's been harmed by these dump projects like Drip and Seifu, again, I want to help. And I covered this on YouTube. I'll share it on the podcast as well. And I'll repeat it for YouTube listeners because I think it's important. Again, I'm trying to help. I'm not a neener, neener, neener like some of the responders on the Seifu side. I like to help. And so I'm going to share the information about the book that I stumbled across and the person that, that introduced that wrote this about a great way to get some spare cash and this will help you recruit what you just lost with your drip and your satama and all these other ones that are kind of crapping out and help you recruit some of that money with something very easy it involves scrap metal recycling if you didn't know scrap metal is all around you not even in your house but in the yard sales or something else and with this you can make a lot of cash with this up to close to three thousand dollars a month so if this is sounding like it's something you're interested in I want to recommend this book for you. Even if you already have a job, I think it's something where you can recoup some of your cash. If you take a look at this book, I strongly recommend it. It's called How to Make Cash Today with Scrap Metal Recycling. It's available on Amazon.com as an ebook. I strongly encourage you to take a look at this book. If you get into this, it'll help you get back some of this cash that you've lost. Now, of course, the caveat is you have to kind of trust me. You didn't trust me the first time when you took the loss. You bought in when I told you not to. That's okay. I'm here to help. I strongly recommend take a look at the book, How to Make Cash Today with Scrap Metal Recycling on Amazon, on Audible as a Kindle book. Get that. Take a look at it. I assure you, everybody's got this scrap metal around and it's a great way to make some of this money back that you've lost YOLOing into these various projects. I think it's smarter just to take profits. 
over time and watch it as you take the profits. And then as dumps get to a point, then you buy back in off the dips if you want and, you know, let it grow again and then take profits again. I just think it's a smarter strategy. That's my opinion. You can do whatever you want to do. It's your money. Take it or leave it. And with that, let's go ahead and talk about our underdog token. And then we'll wrap this up. This will not take long. And if those are listening, those developers for this token are listening to my coverage, they probably are not going to like it. However, I've always said you're invited to the show to talk it out. And I want the smoke. If you are what you say you are, I am welcoming you to the show to have the conversation. I am an investor and I call it like I see it. Tell it like it is Aaron Neville. This token caught my eye because of its name and because of what they purportedly are doing. It's called COVID Doge, coviddoge.com. And I looked at this one. I am not, absolutely not investing in this one for a couple of reasons. But this one came to be a bit of a surprise because they have a lot of, I'll say okie doke and it might be legit, but it looks like a lot of okie doke in their mechanics that they built here. If you didn't know, there was kind of this push to generate funds for those affected by COVID. COVID is still a thing. I know that the media has stopped talking about it, which is a problem. And people are walking around without masks, giving you the illusion of safety. COVID is still a thing. It doesn't matter what is or isn't stuck in your arm. You can still catch it. You can still spread it. You can still be at risk from it. Hospitals are still dealing with it. So this token spins up as part of this push to try to generate aid for those affected by COVID. That's its, that was its genesis. And the way that they explained their tokenomics was intriguing. It was also concerning because they expressed the token as an infection, meaning that if you were to purchase this token and it has a very heavily constrained inventory, I think it's like 20 million. It's very small. But if you have this token and you send this token to any other wallet that's never had the token, that token becomes quote infected and rewards are compounded. So the way it works is you start with, I believe it's a 2% reflection and you get additional reflection percentages. I believe it's 1%. For every other person that's infected up a tree. So it's basically a pyramid scheme in definition, similar to the way drip is. And if you heard our drip coverage and I recommend you go listen to that, it is a similar concept in basically it's a pyramid scheme. The difference with drip versus this one is that drip has enough inventory. I think to where the pyramid works, as long as you can build the pyramid, this one with 20 million, I don't personally think is going to work very well for it. In the long term, in the short term, its price movement is doing what you would expect with a very heavily constrained inventory. And it's actually, yeah, 20 million total supply, 2 million in circulation, a market cap, the market cap, not fully diluted, but basic market cap of about 100,000. So not many people have bought into it as of yet. This just launched like a couple of days ago, if I recall. And it's already at about 7 cents from a low of about 2 cents. Now, with the inventory, if it's able to get the volume numbers that they would need in order to sustain this, it certainly has the potential to go high simply because of the constrained inventory. Where I deviated from them was in around this mechanic, this pyramid scheme mechanic, number one. Let me explain their, their breakout. They have 3% as a charitable wallet, 2% for development wallet, 2% liquidity wallet, 
2%, of course, goes to rewards. And then the, quote, COVID infection percentage is 4%, which seems to be what they're going to use to provide aid to these other organizations. Again, because it's a pyramid scheme structure and because it has a heavily constrained inventory, no, I'm not a supporter of what they're doing and I wouldn't advocate it because there's no way that they can generate support, strong support for this breakout with this constraint inventory. Like this is something that would work if it had maybe 10 billion, a hundred billion in inventory. I think that would have worked better for this because all this is doing is it's encouraging artificial pump because it has a constrained inventory and it's backed by a pyramid scheme. So you take one person who invests in the project and that person is expected to basically recruit their friends or go across social media and just say, Hey, I'll just send you some tokens free of charge. And then they're just collecting off the backs of these other people as a quote infection. Okay. You send tokens to somebody that took that person does or doesn't do anything with it. Let's say that you, what stops somebody from going through blockchain and just sending out the token to a bunch of random addresses there. It's not sustainable. That's my biggest heartburn with what they're doing is the way the model works. I'm not, I understand why they did it. I don't personally agree with it. My personal self, they're banking off the fact that allegedly the CEO of Binance followed this account on social media. And if you heard me talk about how people react to Elon tweets, well, that's all in the past. Now, now the thing is to get this guy from Binance, I forget his name. They call him CZ to get him to either respond or comment or somehow react to something that's been said because he's the CEO of the Binance company. And again, it's one of those where the organizations are not succeeding on their own merits. They're still relying on these other organizations and these other people to basically be a shill, not an intentional shill, but kind of unintentional shill. Hey, look, we're followed by this company or Hey, look, Elon tweeted us. They don't want to succeed on their own. So that's the second problem I got. The third problem I got, they say that they have a white paper. There's no white paper at all. They have a link for it. There's a page, but there's no white paper. If you've heard my rubric episode about a white paper, you understand that there are certain fundamental things that I expect in the white paper to include ideally KYC information about these guys. Don't see any of that at all. There's not even a, there's not even a get book. There's no PDF. There's nothing. So right there, I don't trust you worth the far I can throw you. They actually have an audit though. And it's a PDF and it's on the site and it's from tech rate, which you've heard me in the past. I don't rate tech rate, but there were a couple things called out in this audit that I thought were interesting. And I'm, I'll give them credit for being brave enough to at least put this up there to say, hey, this is, we're being transparent that the audits, it's for you to read. The two things that were called out in the audit, number one, economy model of the contract. Snipe issue was high severity. Snipe issue, function snipe can be called by the owner, owner address, the owner wallet, and allows to transfer any available token amount from any address. Let me break down what this is saying. If this is true, this is saying that this owner address could basically steal your tokens at any time. Now, chances are the reason that this function is there is so that they can basically take money from the development and marketing of the, but they didn't scope it correctly. It's either that, 
or they purposely put this function in there to steal your tokens away. Because why would you call it snipe, right? So this is shady that that's even called out in the audit and that they didn't even give a response for this. I, I was, I was shocked. The second one was the invite fee. The invite fee, I don't think it's a big problem, but it's a discrepancy in the fee that's caused for the invitation to this to this project. I don't think it's a big thing. I wouldn't call it high severity, but it's still a discrepancy that was called out. Other things were about gas. So basically what they have is a list function where they can exclude certain wallets from fees. That's a concern of its own because why would the maybe the owner puts all their buddies in there so they're not charged the fees where everybody else is. I think that's that's a problem. The dividend tracker can be changed. That's a problem because the dividends are what goes to the rewards that you get back. If they can change the tracker, if you heard me on some of the previous ones like Seifu, I said, what's to stop you from just sneaking in a change? You promised one thing and then you snuck in a change. Since they don't have a PDF white paper, you'd have no way of knowing. Now, you could download the audit here and say, well, you called out that this could happen. But I question why I question why they are okay with this, I guess. The owner is not renounced. That's another thing. And But they can change the dividends. They can change the Uniswap router. That's really bad. Exclude from fees. Change the dev wallets. Exclude addresses. Withdraw tokens. They can actually literally just, it's telling you they can rug pull this anytime they feel like it. Blacklist addresses is that you can stop people from selling. Change the gas. That's a problem because they could pocket the excess gas, which is essentially a form of rug pull. Exclude from dividends is just ripping you off. I I don't know why they felt that this was a good thing to post on their site. So if I think about common sense, right? The what's called out in this audit is so concerning. I'm figuring these guys don't know what the heck they're doing. I would recommend to you to avoid COVID Doge, but I call it out to you for you to take a look at it. Coviddoge.com. If it makes sense to you, by all means, I am recommending that you don't do it. I will share it on social media. If they want to talk it out, I love the smoke. If they're serious, we can get to that point. That's all I got for you today. Uh, again, I will be back with some YouTube episodes and the big episode for the podcast will be back next Tuesday. And I'm still working on all these changes. So keep us in mind. Again, CryptoTalkRadio.net. Please do share out to anybody else who might benefit from this information. It helps us grow. It helps us give you quality information. We want to help everybody that we can with smart information and not shilling. Take care. Remember, this will pass again, but we're kind of in tough times right now. It will pass. <laughs>